Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The mosquito fire burning in Placer in El Dorado counties west of Lake Tahoe since September 6th has now charred more than 63,000 acres. That makes it the largest wildfire in California this year, passing the McKinney fire in size. One of the biggest threats this week has been to the community of Forest Hills in Placer County after the fire jumped the American River on Tuesday. Cal Fire Incident Commander Dusty Martin says It was all hands on deck for crews in that area. We gave every effort we had with as many resources as possible into that area, both on ground and in air. One of the points to think about, you know, with our air resources, in a matter of three hours, our aircraft dropped over 220,000 gallons of fire retardant in the area. The fire so far has destroyed dozens of structures and threatens thousands of others. The smoke that has been generated has also created unhealthy air quality in big areas of Northern California. As of last word, the mosquito fire was about 20% contained. Governor Gavin Newsom celebrated a major legislative accomplishment yesterday. He signed his CARE Court bill into law, which seeks to improve mental health care in California, especially for people who are homeless with severe mental illnesses. But there are many critics of the proposal. KQED's Aaron Baldessari reports. Six months ago, Governor Gavin Newsom stood outside the offices of a San Jose nonprofit to introduce a sweeping overhaul of the state's mental health care system. Yesterday, he returned. Let's get on up here and sign this legislation uh, and celebrate everybody's hard work and success. Newsom says Care Court will change how the state oversees treatment for people diagnosed with schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders. People who often cycle between homelessness, emergency rooms and jails. He says success for the program will mean fewer people suffering from mental health crises on the streets. That's what it looks like. Someone whose life was turned around, not someone whose life was disposed of and became a statistic in the name of compassion, in the name of the status quo. The legislature overwhelmingly voted to support their proposal despite vehement opposition from disability rights and social justice groups. They've blasted the plan as coercive because it uses a court system to enforce treatment and say it doesn't create new housing or services. James Birch is the policy director for the Anti-Police Terror Project, part of a statewide coalition opposing care courts. To pass and sign legislation that assumes that our systems can accommodate thousands more when we're already getting a failing grade at accommodating those who need services right now, It's really disheartening. Newsom says there's still hard work to come to make the program a reality. Seven counties in California are expected to implement the new court system by October next year, with the remaining in 2024. 
For the California Report, I'm Aaron Baldessari. In November, California voters will vote on Proposition 30. It's a clean air initiative that would tax California's wealthiest residents to pay for electric car rebates and infrastructure. Right now, it has a majority support among likely voters, according to a new survey from the Public Policy Institute of California. But despite his green climate change fighting agenda, Governor Newsom doesn't support Prop 30. KQED's climate editor Kevin Stark reports. The campaigns over Proposition 30 are intensifying. Californians will vote this fall on the ballot measure, which would tax millionaires to fund electric car incentives and infrastructure. The measure has generated major debate, breaking old alliances and joining Governor Gavin Newsom with conservative groups in this state. Newsom opposes Prop 30 and recorded an ad that says it is really a taxpayer giveaway to Lyft, which responded by dumping $10 million into the yes side. Mayor Libby Schaff and fellow Democrats rallied in support of the measure in Oakland, saying climate change and pollution are killing Californians. 30 will fix that. Prop 30 is an innovative measure that all Californians must support as if their lives depend on it. Assemblymember Buffy Wicks grew up near where the monstrous mosquito fire is burning. The community I grew up in, in Forest Hill, is at threat of being completely wiped off the face of the earth right now. For me, that compels me to take action and to ask everyone to take action on this really critical issue. Lyft's president spoke, too. He said environmentalists, not the company, devised the measure. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. And more proposition and public opinion news. A majority of likely California voters say they plan to reject a ballot measure this fall that would legalize online sports betting in the state. That's according to that same PPIC poll. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzorati has more about that. 54% of likely voters say they'll vote no on Proposition 27, which would allow adults in California to wager on their phones and computers through apps like DraftKings and FanDuel. Supporters and opponents have already shelled out more than $260 million, making it the most expensive ballot measure campaign in state history. But the stakes don't seem as high for California voters. Just 29% say the outcome of Prop 27 is very important to them. The PPIC poll did not ask about Proposition 26, also on the November ballot, which would legalize sports betting at Native American tribal casinos. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
In other news, California Attorney General Rob Bonta is suing Amazon, alleging the online retail giant engages in anti-competitive contracting, and that's in violation of state laws, says the AG. KQED's Rachel Myro has more. The world's biggest retailer penalizes and even terminates third-party merchants who sell through Amazon if they're offering products for a lower price off-site, in some cases on their own websites. Amazon also charges merchants higher fees than rivals like Walmart, Target, and eBay do. Attorney General Rob Bonta alleges Amazon is locking in its market dominance and driving up prices for roughly 25 million California consumers. If you use your power to illegally bend the market at the expense of California consumers, small business owners, and the economy, we'll see you in court. No comment yet from Amazon. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. And challenges for renters. Los Angeles County has approved a plan to formally end COVID-19 tenant protections at the end of the year. The three to two decision means that after December 31st, many renters in the county will no longer be protected from eviction if they fail to pay their rent, even if they claim economic hardship due to the ongoing pandemic. Supervisor Catherine Barger, who introduced the motion, says ending the eviction moratorium is necessary at this point in time. We've tried to be understanding, recognizing that there are those that were negatively impacted during COVID that if not for this moratorium would have been out on the streets. But I think now, given the resources we put into play, the financial resources to help those both tenants and landlords to collect back rent, it's time for us to begin moving forward. Supervisor Barger says between now and the end of this year, the county needs to reach out to people who will be affected by this move. I think it is incumbent upon us to ensure that all 88 cities in the county understand the impacts of this action. We must be proactive and perform robust outreach and communication to those that are going to be impacted. Supervisor Sheila Kuehl was one of the two no votes on the board. While she agreed that eviction protections for people who can't pay rent should end, she was concerned about what canceling other protections might mean for renters. What are we going to tell our 88 cities? Sorry, we are no longer going to keep your landlords from kicking people out for having an extra animal, which is one of the protections that will be done away with. Sorry, we are not going to any longer protect your tenants from being kicked out because their aunt needed to move in because they lost their place. Now, tenants and tenant activists have argued there should be stronger permanent protections in place before the rules are lifted, while landlords say the moratorium has cost them massive amounts of money. Let's turn to teaching and learning. Across the country, many families and dyslexia advocates are pushing for something called structured literacy. It's a type of early reading instruction that's attuned to how the brain learns to read with an emphasis on phonics. Experts say this type of reading instruction can benefit all students, especially those with dyslexia. But it's not the norm in most California classrooms or in teacher prep programs. As part of an ongoing series on dyslexia we've been airing, reporter Julia Barajas spoke with teachers and teacher educators who were working to change that. When you think of phonics instruction, you might be imagining students sitting around while a teacher drones on and on. But the phonics instruction involved in structured literacy can actually be really interactive. One approach, 
called the Orden-Gillingham method, is big on something called multi-sensory learning. It combines phonics lessons with students' sense of sight, sound, and touch. In a classroom, you might see students writing their letters in small sandboxes, then name the letters and say the sounds that go with them. In Southern California, the University of Laverne recently launched a year-long certificate program that trains teachers in structured literacy so that they can better serve students with dyslexia and other reading challenges. The latest cohort came together in August for an in-person orientation. Shay Smith is a special education teacher in the West Covina Unified School District located in LA County's San Gabriel Valley. She has a master's degree and several years of professional experience. Still, when the district gave her the chance to enroll in the program, she didn't hesitate. I did not feel equipped at all to teach all the needs that were in my classroom, especially, you know, students with dyslexia. And so I gladly took it and I've learned a lot. For Smith, discovering how the brain learns to read has been illuminating. She now knows which areas of the brain are activated in skilled and struggling readers and how reading instruction can change those activation patterns. Smith says this has made her a better teacher. She already earned her one-year certificate and is now being trained to teach her colleagues. For teachers who are hesitant about making the shift to structured literacy, Smith posed the following questions. Is what you're doing working? Is it reaching every student? Because if it's not, then something has to change. In 2017, the California Department of Education issued dyslexia guidelines for schools. The guidelines say that reading instruction for dyslexic students should include structured literacy whenever possible. But the guidelines aren't mandatory, and so structured literacy isn't required in California classrooms or in teacher prep programs. Across the country, at least 14 states mandate some form of dyslexia training for aspiring teachers, and more than half of the nation requires training for teachers who are already in the classroom. California has neither requirement, but it's moving in that direction. Last year, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill that requires a revision of how teachers get their credentials. Soon, the state standards will include more emphasis on foundational reading skills, including phonological awareness. As a teacher, I knew more about how my car worked. I knew more about how my computer works than I did about how the brain works. That's George Ellis, who teaches in the Berkeley Teacher Education Program. He's also part of a working group that's making sure the credential bill is properly implemented. He said his teacher prep program was great, but he didn't learn much about how the brain acquires reading. He's glad the teacher prep programs will soon be revamped, but he says that's not enough. The teacher prep programs are where a lot of people want to focus because that's the teacher's first point of entry into what is reading? How do I teach reading, right? He'd like to see effective reading instruction reinforced after teachers go into the classroom. He also thinks teachers' mentors, who are often retired, need to be retrained. What we're teaching in the teacher prep, we need to come back to in the induction. We need to come back to that throughout teacher in-service. So there should be a through line in a teacher's teaching career that doesn't end with teacher prep. To really make structured literacy stick, Ella says everyone at a school campus, including principals, teaching assistants, and parents, also need to know why this work is important. For the California Report, I'm Julia Barajas. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org/health-equity. Hint. 
fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Thursday, September 15th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.